Welcome to a very special Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio, live from the UBS Forum at NPR headquarters in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Emily Reese. The Assassin's Creed games span a centuries-long struggle between the Knights Templar and the Assassins. Although the game is set in 2012, we spend most of our time playing in the past, beginning in the 12th century and eventually landing in Renaissance Italy. Through all four of the games, composer Jesper Kidd has had the rich opportunity to blend old worlds with new sounds, using his own background and interest in electronic music, sampling techniques, and classical music to create the signature sound for Assassin's Creed. It is my honor and sincere pleasure to welcome to Top Score and Minnesota Public Radio headquarters, Mr. Jesper Kidd. Welcome. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we insisted that we find a guest that's taller than me. That was the, that was the goal. <laughs> so you have been writing music for the Assassin's Creed series of games since its inception. So what has that experience been like for you? Um, it's, it's been diverse, you know. Starting out with the first one, it was, um, you know, I was involved very early on, so I don't think we quite knew, um, you know, what we had. I, it was very clear with with Patrice and um, and Jade involved that what they wanted this game to be. But and these are developers at Ubisoft. Yes, these are, are the people, uh, especially Patrice. He designed Assassin's Creed, mm -hmm. um, obviously with help from his team. But it was very much um, he was leading that team, mm -hmm. uh, creative director. And it, it, it was interesting because it was so ambitious. And when I first saw this, I was like, this is just the most ambitious thing that I think I've seen. Um, and then to see it complete with Assassin's Creed 1, I was really, um, it, was, it, was, it was incredible that they actually pulled this off. Um, they were building a new game engine for this game. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think anybody had quite done anything like this before, where you could run around a city and you could crawl anywhere you want. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, you can go to a distant tower and crawl that, or if you would just want to crawl this little house right here, you can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just um, about, you know, telling the game player, yeah, you should go over here. But the whole city was opened up. Um, so that was a very interesting experience, trying to figure out what are we going to do musically. Um, and then after that, Assassin's 2, um, we kind of put a lot of thought into, you know, how are we going to keep going with this franchise and what are we going to, um, you know, how can we build on what we already have but keep making it better? Mm -hmm. um, Brotherhood Revelations, a continuation of that. Yes, yeah, so just to, um, I should clarify that Assassin's Creed was the first game, then Assassin's Creed 2, then Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Yes. Then Assassin's Creed Revelations. So they dropped the numbers after the second one. So that's I guess the so. progression there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's almost like there's Assassin's 2 and then there's the sequel to Assassin's 2. Correct. Which is Brotherhood and the sequel. Mm -hmm. Another, you know, a third one, mm -hmm. uh, which is Revelations. Yes. So. Yes. Which neither of us have had the chance to play. I have not played the game yet. <laughs> has, who, who, who here has played Revelations yet? There's some, some handful of you have had the chance. Yeah. Well, you're one up on us up here, so. <laughs> hmm. So one of the things, uh, and then we'll, we'll listen to some music here in just a second, but one of the things that strikes me, and, and uh, we, we were speaking about this a little earlier, that trailer that you just saw is so much more violent than the game actually is. 
in what my experience with any of the Assassin's Creed games has ever been, is that it's so much built on exploration and treasure hunting and doing all these other other missions and and the the violence for me is is so secondary but then you watch a trailer like that and they really highlight it so yeah yeah mm, yeah I, I don't have an answer to that right I mean, <laughs> uh, it might be the sign of the times i, I don't know mm-hmm. but i mean with assassins uh, i worked on the trailer for assassins too and we worked very much on trying to establish um, the new mood of Assassins, you know, after Assassins mm-hmm. 1, we went to a different time period and a different location. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more about what is the mood of, um, you know, Italy and Venice and, and the Renaissance period. Um, so that was such a focus that I think the trailer really spoke to what to expect in the game. Yes. Um, and, and um, yeah, that, that, was, um, that was then, and, and this, this, this is how the trailers are now. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we're actually going to spend some time talking about the Assassin's 2 trailer in just a little bit, because there's a very special story behind that, so we'll get to that, and we'll actually get to see it as well, so we can give you some context there. So let's go ahead and, and hear, hear a track. This is probably the most popular track, Ezio's Family. Do you want to talk a little bit about Ezio's Family? Yeah, um, that was um, an interesting experience because it was not really written for anything specific in the game. It was one of those tracks I felt we need music for this situation. This is such a powerful moment in in this, um, in this the story and it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the, the title of the track says a lot, you know, it is written for Ezio and his family. And obviously he lost um, his brothers and his father, and they were hanged. And we see that mm-hmm. in the game, and it's, it's an emotional um, scene. Um, but this music doesn't even play at that moment. Um, and I think afterwards, people have kind of taken that track and made it um, kind of... People understand Ezio better now, why he, ha- he carries this kind of sadness around mm-hmm. and what he went through. Um, and that was always my... You know, that was always the idea when I wrote this track, Um, you know, so that's kind of the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit of Ezio's family. violin part that's my favorite part in that track (laughs) so someone watching me play 
any of the Assassin's Creed games might assume that it's a historical game that takes place centuries ago. And this, of course, is not necessarily the case. And this leads me to uh, kind of the trademark of your Assassin's Creed scores. Uh, since it's truly a science fiction game dealing with uh, kind of a unique type of time travel, you get the opportunity to blend a lot of older musical elements with new sounds. So can you, can you talk about this blend? Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, when when I thought how to how to score this this kind of situation, and um, the fact is that everything goes through the animus. That's this machine, and it's able to, um, you know, find memories in your genes, uh, your DNA, which allows you to um, find. Um, memories from your 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 ancestors basically so if you had like a member of your family who lived like 200 years ago you could find certain parts of his memory because it's been transferred from family um so you know there's this very sci-fi element to the score that i always try to keep um in the in the foreground so no matter where we go is there and um yeah th this is why i think it's it's good to be reminded that the animus is an important part of the story. You know, Desmond Miles living in 2012, we go through him um, when he's in this machine and we live those memories and we get to play those memories. So that's really just uh, the, the reason that it's, it's been chosen like that. Yeah. And Ubisoft does an interesting uh, thing where they remind us as players that we're actually playing through the, through the future and into the past by having certain computer glitches appear on the screen as you're playing the, the screen all of a sudden you, you'll be walking down the street in Rome in the 15th or 16th century and the screen will kind of shake or glitch or something and it it's like oh yeah that's right I'm doing this through the future yeah kind of it's very interesting and you know I don't know if it's I, have, I haven't played the the latest game but but um, AC2 Brotherhood the, you know the more um, dangerous the situation gets, the more the screen will start to twitch, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a very interesting kind of a reminder uh, about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you walk into a part of the city that you haven't unlocked yet or something, it'll desynchronize and all of these interesting things go on the screen. It's, it's really unique the way they've uh, chosen to remind you of the present and the, or the future and the past at the same time. So, hmm. and so talk more about what, what kind of musical elements you, how, how, I guess, physically did you do that in your scores with what kinds of sounds and things? Yeah, I mean, it's different for each score, but one of the things that does um, run through all the scores is just the way, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of live performance in these scores, um, mm -hmm. but once everything's been recorded, I like to um, manipulate those live performances. So it might end up sounding not that live, but it, you know, it it starts out as a sample, you know, or just as a performance in a demo shape. And then we record that with live instruments. And then once that's done, we start trying to make it sound kind of um, like it used to a little bit in, in a sense that it, it becomes more kind of, um, low tech almost sometimes or it sounds like hey the way you're manipulating that voice it sounds like a sample or uh, different things um, but it's very much a conscious decision to to keep reminding you what, what where you are and that you're playing through Desmond Miles yes yes so there's a couple of different tracks that are good that can we skip ahead to home in Florence this is one of my my favorites I've always loved this but this is very electronica in in a way you know but you're yet you're you hear this music when you're back home 
in Florence. See if we can pull that up. Assassin's Creed games are are known also for their attention to detail and historic detail. They often introduce characters that truly existed in the past, like Cesare Borgia, uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, these are all real people that existed uh, and are interacting with Ezio uh, throughout the games, uh, or the second and third game. The detail in the landscape is also just incredibly impressive. So did you find yourself actually digging into the history of either the Third Crusade in the first game or with um, the, the Renaissance Italy for Ezio's story? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I do feel I have to pay attention to it because, you know, you don't want to go on a path that's completely wrong, you know, as, as far as, you know, fitting in with history. You have to make sure that you're aware of these things. Um, but I try also not to be too influenced by them because we are making um, an experience that, you know, have elements of sci-fi and, and these kind of things. But um, and plus the animus keeps coming into play, so it can't be too authentic. Um, but it can draw on influences. But it's more about finding out kind of, you know, what do you expect when you think about that kind of time period? Like if we're in the 15th century, the actual music that was around at that time, it's not that interesting to listen to today. You know, we have um, advanced so much uh, in musically since then that I don't think we were just, I think we were kind of bored by that kind of music. And it was, um, so, you know, but I do try to take like, the, there's a lot of folk music around then, you know, street musicians and all these kind of things were, mm -hmm. were a big deal. Um, and obviously once classical music and opera and all these things started getting um, getting going. I mean, for example, opera in the beginning was more like comedic opera. That was a big, uh, big deal. And um, comedic opera wouldn't fit into a game like this. You know, it's, it's a much more serious experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's about researching and finding out what parts can I make work um, and what parts are not going to work. Mm -hmm. What were some of the those parts that you maybe thought would work that you ended up throwing out? Is there anything you can think of? Not, not that I can think of. Um, I, I, you know, when I do research, I kind of just let the um, the stuff that's working lead the way. And when I see something that's not working, I don't go that direction. You know, I just keep researching un until I um, mm -hmm. have a uh, fill my brain up with ideas, and then I take it from there. Excellent. I'll have to start trying that. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> uh, can you talk about your use of themes through the four games? And, and maybe if you have some favorites that we could pull up and listen to, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, the Brotherhood has a theme, and um, the, that theme was introduced in Assassin's 1. And I kind of reluctant to call it a theme, because it's, it's more kind of a mood, mm -hmm. and it's more like a repetitive, um, you know, 
maybe two notes here, you know, that keeps repeating this line that keeps growing. So it's not, you know, it was, it was to try to get into that whole mentality of um, Assassin's One, you know, that took place in such early times. That was during the Crusades. Mm-hmm. Um, so mu- music at that time were very kind of primitive. Um, so, you know, I take that approach as well, trying to create something that sounds more simplistic, but how much can I build upon that to make it sound like it's um, it's fun to listen to and it still gives all the power even though it's just maybe two notes you know mm-hmm. um, and, but that's one of the themes or moods that we've been that, that's always been in all the games um, Brotherhood um, I'm trying to remember the titles we gave them on the soundtrack um, <laughs> but it's the, the theme of the Brotherhood you know mm-hmm. that, that keeps coming back um, and then there's also Ezio's theme obviously which is the Ezio's family which has different variations um, and that's been Assassin's 2 Brotherhood. I'm not sure if it's um, in Revelations, having played the game. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even know what music they used of yours? <laughs> well, you know, each, each experience is different because there's so many, you know, you work with different people and um, each project, it seems I'm working with different people. Um, so there's not like this repeating kind of notion that we're getting to know each other more and more. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just, you know, also one of the challenges of, of working with a, with a franchise that, that keeps going like that, but you're always working with new people. Um, but, yeah, so. <laughs> let's, hear, um, uh, let's hear City of Jerusalem. This is actually from the very first Assassin's Creed game, so a lot of this is not live musicians, is that correct? Well, the choir is live. Um, <clears throat> we recorded that in Seattle, and um, that is more... Um, so the theme of Jerusalem, it definitely has the, the feeling of the Crusades in the back, you know, mm-hmm. that we, we, need to, um, we need to bring that out, we felt. And um, Jerusalem being also a melting pot of um, Christianity, um, you know, versus the Muslim religion. So... Mm-hmm. Um, there's three cities in, in in Assassin's Creed, you know, Damascus, Jerusalem, and uh, Acre. And whereas Acre is full-on Christianity, Damascus is totally like Muslim-inspired, and so this one is is the melting pot. And I love what you did vo- with the vocals in this to kind of reflect that in a in a very, I think, uh, um, tender isn't the word I'm looking for, but it's 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 not so much that it beats you over the head, but you just it's just an inflection and I, I really like what you did with that. You know, tragic was one of the key words we work with. We were we were very much aware that that, that I mean obviously the Crusades were a horrific time mm-hmm. and so we definitely wanted that to reflect in the music. And so it has I think this track has kind of a to me anyway, I went for like more of a tragic um, kind of element there. Let's hear it.
I can hear tension even in the harmony. It harmonizes and it's all consonant and it sounds good, but you can hear that tension between the two styles of singing, especially because they're just such disparate ways of singing. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> so we t we've touched on this a little bit tonight, but this is a point that, that um, you know, you've, you've brought up a couple of times in our conversations that sometimes people just assume that you've sampled all the voices and this is just not the case. Your vocals are always live vocals, but you have this, uh, this tinkering that you like to do with them. And I've got a, a really great track that kind of uh, emulates that and we'll hear that in a second, but I wanna know how that process unfolds for you and what is it about that that, that um, you love to take the human voice and make it sound different a little bit? I think it has to do where I, where I came from, you know? I mean, I came um, from a place that's called the European demo scene. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the key thing for me back then when I was, uh, was uh, you know, 13 years old, when I started making music with computers, um, and it was always about trying to push the envelope and what can we do with these extremely limited computers. And uh, one of the computers were called Amiga, and all you had was four channels of audio. And so you could sample individual instruments and then you could, you know, play those back, but you only had four channels. Um, so I've always had this love of sampling music and, and seeing what can you do once it's sampled. Um, so I, that's probably where it came from, you know. It's, um, I just get, um, it just excites me, you know, when I'm sitting with all my uh, different machines and what can I do, what can I do to this sound? And that's, that's how it starts. Good. Well, I... I understand we're actually almost close to 30 minutes already, which is ridiculous. I just want to point that out. <laughs> but uh, so so let's we'll hear some more music in a moment. But I definitely want to talk about this trailer for Assassin's Creed 2 and your background. Um, but this this was a very uh, special situation for you, because uh, typically when a film comes out or a game comes out and the trailer for that film or game comes out, the composers who've written for the game or the film aren't the composers who write the music for the trailer. That's, you know, almost all the time that's the case, correct? But for some reason, they, they wanted you to score this trailer. So, so talk about that. I think it's, it's like a bit like I mentioned before. Like, I think it was important to capture the atmosphere as Assassin's 2. It was so different from Assassin's 1. And what better way to capture the atmosphere of the game than to have the composer who did the score for the game actually write the score for the trailer. Um, and yeah, you, I mean, and you're absolutely right. Most... Um, Trailers, they, you know, I mean, the trailer music scene is its its own separate scene, um, and um, you know, so so there's composers who compose for trailer music, and that that's not necessarily the composers who write soundtracks. 
The other great thing about this trailer is that what we learned once we got the game for Assassin's Creed 2 is that this is a scene that you play as a player, which was just fascinating. So let's take a look at it. Let's watch that trailer and uh, then we can maybe talk a little bit more about it after that. I've dealt with you, I promise I'll give her my full attention. Yeah, I pretty much leapt out of wherever I was when I saw that. 
you know, <laughs> three years ago. Um, so so t- talk a little bit more. about It's such a beautiful scene with the carnival in Venice, yeah? So... Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, it was really just in the spirit of things. Um, Assassin's Creed 2 was, felt like a very special game. We, um, there, there was a certain kind of magic time and, and everyone on the team, I really felt that we all were, we knew we were onto something here and, and this was just going to be a really cool game. Um, and, and it all reflected in everything. I mean, I wrote a lot of music for it. It's, uh, um, almost, uh, you know, three hours of music, um, and um, it was, you know, it took quite a long time to write it as well. We had a long time to to kind of prepare for everything and work very hard on coming up with a new, um, you know, sound for this, um, for this game. I did not know at the time that, I don't know if any of us knew that there was going to be sequels to Assassin's 2, but it was just very important to set, um, to set up the new time period and the new character and then, you know, set up the new, you know, musical ideas for all these things. I would love to talk more about that, but I, I think that I would be doing a disservice to the audience if I didn't ask you about your story and your background before we open questions up. So so you touched on it a little bit, but explain to us what that means, European demo scene, and how you got into it. Yeah, that, that's kind of a unique place, actually. Um, it's it's So obviously, it, it, it mostly takes place in Europe, but there is a demo scene, and a demo scene, and it does... Um, uh, you know, it's a it's a worldwide phenomenon. You don't have to be in Europe to to be part of it. But um, I, I was in you know part of the European demo scene, which is the main the main hub for the demo scene. Um, and obviously, I'm from Denmark. And um, even though we we're just five million people in Denmark, we had one of the strongest demo scenes in Europe. Um, even though we were one of the smallest countries, I always thought that was really cool. Um, and like all my friends, we were all in the demo scene and I basically just ended up being friends with everyone who was in that scene. You know, I guess I just kind of, um, you know, that's how how things worked out. Um, so my friends were programmers, demo, um, they were, um, graphic artists, you know, I did music for like hundreds of demos, um. And it, it was very interesting because when writing music, uh, when you're that young and you don't really take it that serious, which is great, you know, I really think that's how it, that's a great way to start out because one of the hardest things about music is if you take it too serious, you know, your barriers will, you'll start kind of like, is this good enough? Is that good enough? Oh, you know, that's not so good. Uh, but I, di- I didn't really care. I wrote a lot of music that sucked and I was totally happy. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I think that's, that's a good thing, not to have that filter in front of you all the time that says you have to be great. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't able to get into, um, you know, uh, the, the Copenhagen Music Conservatory or anything like that. Um, so it was, it was always just something we, we did because we thought it was fun. We just did it because we loved doing it. I wrote a track every day. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the longer I did it, the more people I became affiliated with and... Um, it just kept growing. At some point, um, we were introduced to a group called Cryonics, who were considered like the best programmers in Denmark. You know, they were really kick-ass. Um, we were more about music and graphics, and once we joined forces, it's like something happened. Uh, we did one more demo, and it was pretty cool, and then we were like, okay, what are we going to do now? We, we did this demo. We don't think we can do much better. So we decided to start a game company, and then at least that way we could continue doing what we love, and maybe we could make some money on it. Um, so our first game was sold to Sega, and we were brought over to the U.S. 
Um, and that's, that's how it started. Very unusual that uh, a lot of the composers I've spoken with actually come from the film industry or film and television. And so it's, it's not that common. It has happened before, but it's not that common for a composer to come straight from, I mean, you are a gamer. You've always written for games. I mean, that was just always at the forefront of your mind. So it's a very interesting story that, that now that you've done this, you've then done some films. <laughs> it's true, yeah. And, I mean, the the music I wrote in the beginning were, were beep music, you know? I mean, that, that was even before the Amiga. You know, you had three channels, and you didn't have any samples, you know? <laughs> you just have these noises that, you know, was kind of like beep noises. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing about the Commodore 64, which is what I started out on in, like, I think 87, I got my, or 85, actually, got my, my Commodore 64, and... It, it had an analog chip inside, which was very unusual. And it's still to this day, it's very unusual. Mm-hmm. You can even buy synthesizers now that has that SIT chip inside. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a little treasure kind of thing. Uh, but they put that in the Commodore 64 and, you know, musicians were able to make that computer sing. It made music like I've never heard before. Um, and I thought, wow, this is the most insane music I've ever heard. And I was just fascinated with that. I always, I've always been fascinated in trying to push things as far as they can be pushed. Uh, and I think that started on the Commodore 64. Mm. Um, and, you know, to add to that, another interesting thing about the Commodore 64 is that since you only had that, those three channels of synthesizer, analog kind of thing, the only thing you could do really was themes. You couldn't do any kind of impressive... Um, recordings or anything to kind of, you know, fill in the gap that you don't know how to compose maybe or anything. All you could do was you could do a bass line and a melody and, you know, maybe a supporting melody or something. But you, if you didn't have a good melody, your music was not going to be very enjoyable. So that was most of my music, you know. But I learned that way. I just kept at it. And um, it, it just kind of kept going. And here you are with Assassin's yeah. Creed. <laughs> Well, I'm going to stop talking, even though I didn't even get to all my questions, but uh, maybe uh, someone in the audience might have some of the questions that we didn't get to. So uh, we've got a couple of uh, folks that are going to be walking around with microphones. And what we will just ask you to do is say your name and where you're from, and uh, we'll get your questions to Jesper. Hi, Jesper. I'm Mark from St. Paul. Uh, Early on, who were your musical influences and who are they now? Um, early on, I was a, a big fan of um, composers who worked on the Commodore 64, like the, the, the Sid, and, and there's composers like, you know, Martin Galloway, Rob Hubbard, and these things, which I totally, you know, that, that was like the greatest music I, I ever heard. Um, um, a little bit beyond that, it became more like Vangelis, Shamshel uh, Shah, Mike Oldfield, you know, people who were trying to break new ground while still uh, keeping the melody and the harmony intact. Uh, and I think that's really what Vangelis did so well. He he pushed the boundaries so much, but he always tried to keep the music. He always kept it about the music. He never forgot, you know, there's a fine line when you experiment too much and you're like, okay, this is, we're experimenting for experimentation's sake. And that's when music can get kind of like, you know, strange. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm writing for... Uh, you know, it's it's a popcorn world, you know. Um, so so you know, I can, you you have to keep all that in mind. But how far can I push the the limit while still being able to uh, capture a main um, kind of mainstream? I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. 
We have a question from Twitter, actually. Uh, Ryan wants to know, and we, we touched on this a tiny bit, in a series so focused on historical authenticity, was there consideration of some 16th century music like madrigals or, or things along those lines for, for Assassin's Creed? Yeah, I, I did research that, and um, and like I mentioned earlier, it was it was very interesting. I was not aware of the uh, comedic opera, for example. That was something new. I was like, ah, oh, this is really interesting, um, and how popular it was back then when opera mm -hmm. first became, um, I guess you can call it the music style almost, or a part of a classical music. Um, so I did a lot of research there, and uh, I think what I also tried to do is maybe bring more folk and world music influences into the scores since we are in all these different locations and to mm -hmm. take, okay, what instruments are, um, you know, are you going to identify with if we're in this location? And it's not always about being accurate. It's also just about giving the right kind of, um, you know, feeling so it feels accurate or people will feel it's accurate, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's accurate. There's this <laughs> fine line you have to kind of think about when you do these things. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. I'm Abby from Maple Grove, and I'm wondering what other video game composers do you like? Um, that's interesting. That's um, a good question. Uh, I like Gary Scheiman. I think he's done some very interesting stuff. Bioshock? Um, yeah, Bioshock was a very cool score. Um, mm -hmm. And I also liked what they did with the, the Halo theme. You know, I thought, wow, that, that really is a memorable line. You just need to hear that, and you're instantly, you know, okay, that's Halo. I mean, that's yes. a successful score. Yes, um, Michael so, Salvatore yeah. and um, uh, Marty uh, O'Donnell. Yeah. O'Donnell, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. So I, w I would mention, uh, yeah, those two definitely. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, hi, I'm Ryan. Oh, it was the same person who asked the Twitter question a minute ago, but oh, I have a separate question <laughs> to ask, I suppose. And that is that when Assassin's Creed II was released, uh, the reviews universally praised it for expanding the gameplay significantly over Assassin's Creed One. And I'm curious if you think that there was any sort of expansion of the sonic components, the audio in the game, from either Assassin's Creed 1 to 2 or a jump between any of the other games. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I've touched a little bit about Assassin's 1 and 2. I mean, one thing I haven't talked about is the jump between Assassin's 2 and, and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, right. which is the third one. Yep. Um, so that one was um, obviously, this, you know, Brotherhood was a lot, a lot darker story. The Borgia family is yes. what we were up against, and, and th those are not very nice people, you know. No. Uh, <laughs> no. So yeah, that's what my research tells me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it is to me that the Brotherhood almost feels like an extension of Assassin's 2 in a sense that Assassin's 2 had a lot of the uh, more um, maybe positive feeling music, you know, kind of like things are not that bad, you know, or <laughs> things are have been bad, but you'll be okay, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whereas Brotherhood went a lot darker. But, you know, it's it's I think they work well as almost like companion pieces, whereas Brotherhood has more aggression, more darkness. And then, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed has almost more ethereal music. But when mm -hmm. you put them together, I think it's uh, I think they kind of fit together. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Good. Yes. Hi, I'm Malcolm from St. Paul. Um, I had wanted, I wanted to know, um, I read that when they were developing the engine for the game, it was actually originally being intended for Prince of Persia, that, that series. And I was wondering if you were already involved at that moment, and if you were, did you have to change your style when they decided to eventually make Assassin's Creed instead? 
that's very interesting. Um, yeah, I was aware that it was um, there was a talk of of this being Prince of Persia, uh, but um, quite early on, it was it was decided that this should be its own franchise. It was um, such an ambitious project, and I think it mm -hmm. went in a little bit different direction. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I was um, I, I was aware of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. My name is April, and I was just wondering if you're going to make more Assassin's Creeds? Um, I can't really talk about that. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> I would get in big trouble. <laughs> so, But there is definitely more music on the way of all kinds of other stuff. Yes. So. And Ubisoft has not made it a secret that they want to annualize this franchise. I mean, I've seen that. They want to... They, this is not anything you've told me or I mean this is stuff I've just they've they've made this very public that there will be an Assassin's Creed every year indefinitely so yay <laughs> <laughs> I mean this is just stuff that you know is floating around it could be all wrong but yeah go ahead I'm Tori from Maple Grove uh, since it's a video game and so much is based around what the player actually does how do you pace or tailor the music to you don't know what the player is going to do but they may do it for a long or short amount of time that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, that is one of the differences between film music and video game music. You know, with film, you have everything kind of lined up and you can always follow the film and you kind of know where to go. But with games, you don't have that luxury. Um, so, you know, it's a lot about trying to figure out um, how the game will feel when you play it and what is something that could be cool uh, for the game player um, when you're actually playing the game. Um, so since I'm a gamer, I can totally, you know, that's kind of how I, how, you know, one of the start perspectives I take, what could be really cool to uh, to listen to while this happens. Um, mm -hmm. So, but it's, it's true, you never know what the game player is going to do. Um, and then, you know, but once, you know, once you engage in a, in a mission, for example, that we have, you know, music playing for when you're doing these, you know, whether it's a really tense mission or when it's more like suspenseful or, uh, you know, when, it, you know, we all have music to cover for all these things. But um, when you're just exploring in Assassin's Creed 2, um, you know, we went for more of a... Uh, just a mood that that really kind of amplifies the exploration. It makes you want to explore more and just kind of hang out in the city. And uh, so that's that's the idea. We can have two more questions, I'm told. I'm not going to be the one to pick. <laughs> uh, Steven from Moorhead. Um, so through the first few games, we've been confined to uh, places around the Mediterranean, you know, Italy, um, Jerusalem, those sorts of places. Uh, if you could take the series to somewhere totally different in the world and sort of draw on themes, where would you like to take it? Hmm. Denmark? Uh, yes, <laughs> Copenhagen. Um, there, there's some very interesting uh, places to go. I mean, one, one, I mean, I used to live in New York City. I lived there for 10 years and uh, in Manhattan, and I, I think it's, it's a really fascinating place. And I just can't imagine how was this place even built, you know? It's just like skyscraper and big buildings everywhere for uh, miles and miles. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, I'd love to see, visit that city back when it was still being constructed and early on, you know, 17, 18th century maybe or something like that, I thought. Or, um, you know, any major city, you know, London, Paris, but to see those cities, how they were back then, because they were still metropolises back then, mm -hmm. but they just look not like they do now, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Last question. 
Hi, Jesse from Gattacast. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> um, Jesper, I first uh, learned from you from the Hitman games, and uh, I was struck by how how ambient in Electronica those were because it's not something that many games were doing at the time. I wonder, was there any challenge? Have you ever had any um, difficulty convincing people to go in such a, a ambient direction for somewhat of a dark game like that? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> hmm, let me think about that because I think, um, you know, I, I end up working on projects where they are looking for that kind of thing. So um, I probably wouldn't even be considered for projects where they are looking for something completely different, um, for better or for worse, you know. But uh, it's, it's always been a challenge to try to do um, more electronic-based music. In, you know, a lot of people look at electronic music and say, well, it's inferior to having a live orchestra. Well, um, maybe I say a lot of people. I should say some people. Um, you know, so in, in that aspect, um, I don't think electronic music isn't inferior. You know, I think it takes a lot for one composer, uh, one person to sit down and write the whole piece in, in, instead of saying, okay, we have this, you know, we have a big team of people working with us and we have an orchestra. So the demo might not sound uh, awesome right now, but it will, you know, but if you're doing electronic, you have to create that awesomeness on your own. So there's different challenges there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for all your time. You're going to be hanging around a little bit here, uh, maybe do some signing, and uh, um, I suppose if anybody has any burning questions, you may, maybe uh, he might be polite enough to answer at that time. But uh, thank you all very much for coming, okay. and thank you, Jesper, for being here. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a special episode of Top Score from the UBS Forum at Minnesota Public Radio headquarters. Our guest this evening is Jesper Kidd, and I'm Emily Rees. We had additional support from Daniel Gillum, Hans Buto, Maury Jensen, and Cameron Wiley. Thank you for coming. <laughs>